professor got into trouble. The administration at his university ordered him to stop teaching something that he firmly believed was true. A researcher wrote a book that convinced many scientists of a major scientific concept, but now he's convinced the hypothesis he once publicised is wrong. When you hear that bubbling sound, get ready for another episode of Truth in the Test Tube. We contemplate a scientific topic from a unique angle, and something solid precipitates from our discussion. Three first-year biology students met with Dr. John Hafenick, chairman of the biology department at San Francisco State University in California. After listening to the first of three lectures on evolution, the students had two complaints to lodge against their teacher, Dr. Dean Kenyon. First, he quoted from a poll survey that showed that a majority of the American people believe God is the creator. Second, he criticised what he called standard evolutionary thought. What were Dr. Kenyon's qualifications for his research and teaching? He received his PhD in biophysics from Stanford University and completed postdoctoral work at the University of California, at the University of Oxford in England and at NASA. Kenyon had been teaching at San Francisco State University for 22 years and he was well known as the co-author of a book entitled Biochemical Predestination. Biochemical Predestination? Does that refer to how non-living chemicals could have formed into the first living cells? Yes, The book was adopted at many universities as a graduate textbook and was regarded as the best work on that subject. What made Professor Kenyon start doubting his own theory of how living cells could have developed spontaneously from non-living chemicals? He and other researchers had tried unsuccessfully for years to recreate the conditions they theorised the early Earth might have had. In 1976, Kenyon and a colleague commented that experimental conditions in laboratories were very different from conditions which probably existed on the ancient Earth. In the Journal of Molecular Evolution, they wrote, The geochemical plausibility of many of these protocell models is open to serious question. Do you mean that as they studied even the simplest living cell, they began doubting that non-living chemicals could have produced that cell spontaneously? Yes. By the 1980s, Kenyon knew his own experiments had needed a large amount of guidance to produce even small results. He realised that if that was true in laboratory experiments, then it must be true in nature. An intelligence must have been needed to design and produce the first life form. When he says an experiment needs guidance in the laboratory, does he mean the researcher helps the experiment to come out the way he wants it? Yes. When the scientist found that his experiment was producing a compound that he thought nature could have used as a theoretical step towards producing the first living cell, he collected that compound and preserved it. And Dr. Kenyon realised that nature would not have been that smart and selective. Nature would have let the good compounds continue to be bombarded by wind, sun, lightning, etc., those factors would probably have destroyed them before they could have developed into a living substance. So that's what he meant by guiding laboratory experiments? Yes. 
For more than a decade, Dr. Kenyon had been telling his first-year biology class that he thought nature needed guidance to produce the first life. The previous chairman of his department never objected, but three students complained. And soon after, the chairman of his department called Kenyon into his office and said, I order you not to discuss creationism in your class. You can regard that as a direct order. I have the support of the dean, and we agree on this. How did Professor Kenyon react? He wrote for clarification of his chairman's order, asking was he forbidden to mention to students that there are important disputes among scientists about whether or not chemical evolution could have taken place on the ancient earth? And was he prohibited from teaching the important philosophical issues at stake in discussions of origins? In his reply, the dean insisted Kenyon teach the dominant scientific view. In other words... Evolution. Yes, including biochemical evolution, the hypothesis that inorganic chemicals developed into the first living cell. How did Dr. Kenyon answer his administrator? He wrote back, I do teach the dominant view, but I also discuss problems with the dominant view, and that some biologists see evidence of intelligent design. Please inform me of any impropriety in this approach. The administration's only reply was to remove him from teaching introductory biology while continuing to teach more advanced classes. They never asked Kenyon himself what he teaches in his class. So it sounds as if the administrators acted only on what introductory biology students thought of Kenyon's lecture. Yes, in fact, Professor Kenyon had announced in class that this was the first of three lectures on the subject These first-year students heard one-third of a series before lodging their complaint. Kenyon says, To this date, I have not received a reply to my question to Dean Kelly, asking him to identify what I was doing that was improper. It's an arbitrary exercise of administrative powers. Most universities claim to favour academic freedom. That often means a professor can say almost anything he wants in class. Retired University of California law professor Dr. Philip Johnson points out that in this case, the essential mindset creating the problem here is that in the views of people like Dean Kelly, you're either teaching science and promoting a naturalistic philosophy, or you're teaching the book of Genesis instead of science. And they don't want to hear the facts because they want to decide the case on the basis of a stereotype in their minds. Some of my friends paraphrase that attitude as... Don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up. Yes, Professor Kenyon appealed to the university's Academic Freedom Committee. And the committee ruled that the violation of academic freedom had taken place. They asserted that the guidelines of a university permit and encourage vigorous dialogue, even controversy. And students in all academic disciplines should be exposed to effective presentations of a broad range of perspectives in their area of study but administrators rejected the committee's recommendation to restore him to teaching that introductory class. Why? They simply said they were free to determine what curriculum was appropriate. They reasoned that Dr Kenyon's type of speech should be reserved for upper-class students only. Introductory biology students are too young and naive to comprehend and evaluate the type of statements he made. It became known as the proper forum issue. In other words... He said the right things, but in the wrong place. Does that mean he would be allowed to say these things to students who are nearing graduation, but not to first-year students? Yes, 
But Myers points out how inconsistent that is with the way the dispute began. In his words, Kenyon is pulled from introductory biology based on a hearsay evaluation of Kenyon's class content made by introductory biology students. And yet, the stated reason for pulling him is that introductory biology students cannot accurately comprehend and evaluate Kenyon's class speech. So, the same person who says first-year college students are too uninformed to evaluate what they hear also says those same students are experts who should decide what the rest of their class should hear. Right. Don't expect someone with an ideological bias to be logical. Professor Kenyon took his appeal to the chairman of the university's academic senate, and the senate scheduled a vote for December the 7th to decide their recommendation. The day before the vote, an article was published in a newspaper that circulates throughout the United States detailing Kenyon's problem. It influenced the proceedings the next day. What did the article say? In it, Dr. Stephen Meyer, professor of the history and philosophy of science, wrote, The teacher was forbidden to teach his course not because he taught evolutionary theory, but because he offered a critical assessment of it. The problem is that dominant players currently insist on a rigidly materialistic mode of explanation, even when, as Dr. Kenyon maintains, explanation of the evidence requires more than the limited powers of brute matter. In other words, if someone who has spent decades researching evolutionary theory concludes that nature alone could not have produced the first life form, some people want to silence him. Yes, Dr Myers pointed out that this kind of intellectual restriction suppresses open-minded thinking by decreeing what thoughts are acceptable. The University Senate voted 25 to 8 in Kenyon's favour, insisting that he should be allowed to teach the class. A few weeks later, Hafenick and Kelly finally conceded, and Kenyon began teaching the course again. So, is the controversy finished? No, these administrators still want to tell the expert how to teach his course. Professor Walter Bradley commented, some people refuse to allow any kind of compelling evidence to ever point to an intelligent cause. Do you mean God? God is one possible intelligent cause. Or some scientists talk about some kind of intelligent cause within nature. Professor Kenyon will tell more about his ideas on our next programme. You've been listening to Truth in the Test Tube, exploring what we discover in nature and what God has revealed in the Bible. You may email us at truthtest at truthinthetesttube.org. That's truthtest at truthinthetesttube.org. If you live in India, our email address is testtube at radio882.com. That's testtube at radio882.com. Either way, we'll be happy to hear from you. Please join us again for Truth in the Test Tube.